Hey everybody, sorry I was late today. Happy Monday. It's all good. You were watching Twilight yesterday. I gotta hear more about that experience. Oh yeah, hold up. Sorry, uh, my headphones aren't plugged in. There um, we go. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's hear about this. I know that you were angry tweeting quite a bit of it. I was <laughs> angry tweeting, yes. I was watching, I watched through all, oh my hair is a mess. Didn't yeah, it's the morning. Let's put a hat on, Shady. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I will put a hat on. Here we go. There you go. You got your 10x me daddy hat right there waiting to be put on. You didn't hear a word I just said. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so this weekend I watched all four of the Twilight movies for the first time. I'd actually seen the first one, I think when it first came out, but I hadn't seen any of the other ones and I didn't remember it that well. So I watched all four of them or all five of them and uh, they were really bad. I really thought that it was going to be like, um, that they were going to be not as bad as people said, because I thought it was really just like the bad reception from the time was that when they came out, it was very cool to like things that were to not like things that were popular or to hate on things that were like big at the time. Cause everyone was such a like, hipster so i thought that it was really like that that like they weren't going to be that bad people were just hating what was popular but no i they're really bad <laughs> they really so, are that bad i'm gonna ask you a question and while you think about it i'm gonna read through the comments and my question is what do you think twilight's purple cow was oh that's a good question because it is popular that? enough it 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 was the standard of parent of like ya for a little while and paranormal romance. And while you think that over, I'm just going to quickly say good morning. Stop picking your nose. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Cher. Of course, you three are the first ones. We love y'all. Marie coming in fourth with Caroline coming in with a respectable fifth, wishing us a good morning. Uh, Cher doubling down and Caroline being sleepy. Drink some more coffee. Uh, hi again, Cher. Okay, Bonnie is here. Welcome, Bonnie. I'm happy to see that you're streaming again on Twitch. Yay! Uh, Yes, yeah, Seth Godin. Okay, so I, I don't know the Icarus deception. Like, like I know Lynchpin, um, but we've read Purple Cow together. And then I've read uh, The Practice, and this is marketing, and Savvy has those on her TBR as well. Harley, I'm on my third cup of coffee because uh, I woke up early, and instead of working out, I finished Purple Cow. That's amazing. So I mental worked out. Well, it's a short book. Uh, Caffeinated Angel is here, and now I know your real name, so I'm always thinking that in my head when I when I see your name popping up here. What's up, Brianna? What's up, Brittany? Okay, Weird is here, so you know it's going to be a good stream, and Kimberly is here to keep us in line. <laughs> I love it. That was the best comment response I'd ever seen. I'm efficient. You were efficient, but thorough at the same time. And I'm like a really Japanese what, car factory. Yeah, that's that's really what makes makes this, uh, this work. Teamwork makes the meme work. Actually, that's an interesting. Um, that's an interesting book too. It's called *The Lean Startup*, and it's all about how Toyota revolutionized car manufacturing by just basically making everything as efficient as possible and cutting out all wasted energy, even the wasted energy of like workers turning. Yeah, I got. Uh, I have that on my shelf. I have. I started reading it, and I haven't finished it yet because it was kind of boring. But I need to finish it. Fair, fair, fair enough. Uh, a less boring book that sort of touches on some similar topics, just isn't, isn't as focused on that, is um, Scaling Up. Mm, okay. And that's less boring because it's more multimedia. It's interactive. Like, it has worksheets and shit within the book. It's it's probably my favorite business book. It's up there with Good to Great. 
But did you think about the purple cow? Yeah, so I think we should talk about what the purple cow is, first of all. So everybody, um, so this is Seth Godin week. Um, we are going to be living like Seth Godin. And Seth Godin doesn't... <laughs> Our we, are Seth Godin. we are Seth Godin because we don't have a lot of hair. He is. Yeah, this feels long. good. Yeah, I've been like feeling the back of my head all all weekend. I'm just like, oh, it feels so nice. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to sound disgusting, but like really digging in when I'm washing my head now, it feels good. Like <sighs> there were definitely parts of my scalp that I think got neglected while when I had long hair. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure that makes me sound disgusting. So no, I think everyone. I think that's just. Yeah. I don't. I think that's just part of how it is. When you have long hair, it's harder to get through everything. Yeah, I can feel parts of my scalp. It's like air. Yeah. What's this? Yeah, yeah. My head feels like like it is so much lighter and like it uh, has so much more air. It's really nice. But yeah, yeah so we're we're living that life. Um, being You're bald, to revolutionize like, hip hop, like uh, like Seth Godin. Um, so Seth Godin is a bald dude, and he's written multiple books. Like RK said, we both read Purple Cow. I'm currently reading This Is Marketing. I haven't started the practice yet, but I'm hoping to get if we get all if we get all of those done this week, then we can talk about all these books because we are. It's a reading week. It's a we're reading so much. Basically, booktube this week. Exactly, and that's what's fun is that what's what he has is less. Um, he doesn't have like weird, weird routine stuff. Like we're not doing any weird diets or weird workouts or anything this week. We're doing mostly just reading his books. So this is just really a week about knowledge, and I like that knowledge. Wait, knowledge. Wait, 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 don't you have that in one of your intros? Or something? Knowledge, like, or, or is I that don't. just? Did, does someone say RK Nature will take care of your hair soon enough? Oh, thanks, Joe. I appreciate you. Um, baldness actually does not run in my family. We got diabetes, but we don't got baldness. So suck it. Love it. Yeah. Take that, <laughs> Joe. Kidding. Love you when you're super straight back. Um, but yeah, so purple cow. Should we go into the what it is first, define the purple cow, and then move on to applying yes. it to life, liberty, yeah, we'll to apply it to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and twilight. All right. You um, take the least slim savvy. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> the, well, the purple cow is just basically like what the thing that stands out, the thing that that becomes. Let's see if we can actually find a definition of it because I don't want to explain it badly. Or you could try explaining it while I look this up. I mean, essentially, it's either something that revolutionizes an industry, uh, breaks down standards, and comes up with something entirely new that stands out. The way that he described it in his book was when he was driving through the countryside of France at first. The uh, the fields were beautiful and they were in like entranced by uh the vast beauty of like the the rolling hills and the cows and the pastures and then after a while the beauty lost its value and they just became bored of the same setting over and over again and he thought you know what would really stand out a purple cow and a purple so that's sort of the background of where he thought of it a purple cow stands out in front of the pasture and then you apply that same metaphor to business so you have something like apple where it was sort of uh hiding in the weeds for a bit after it launched its uh i forgot what the computer was that it launched um and then it it sort of petered, uh, petered off for a little bit until steve jobs came back and completely revolutionized personal technology, personal computers, phones, um, just anything that we use on a daily basis. Uh, so that's one example. Another example he said was he didn't really, he, he specifically said price 
is not a purple cow unless you completely revolutionize spending in the industry. So his examples were Southwest, which just was were regional, built up a culture regionally um, and made it as it made it like over 30% cheaper than its competition. So it completely rethought how we think of air travel. Same thing with Ikea and furniture. So he said price is usually a desperation move unless you're completely reshaping the industry itself with lower prices. Um, but as far as applying it to your own things, essentially the purpose of a purple cow is to stand out and be so unique that you are not aiming for the masses. You're aiming for the early adapters, the people that like to take risks. And they are those people do exist. He says they're virus spreaders, which really does not apply well now to a pandemic. This book has aged a little poorly because of that. But yeah. he, calls them, he calls them virus spreaders and sneezers because they're people that you really want who are early adapters for everything new. They're the people that if a new social media is up, they're the first ones on it. If there's a new uh, video game, they're the first ones to try it. If there's a new anything, they're the early adapters, the first ones to try it. And you go for them. And then they become your top salesman because you have energized them so much or you lose them there. Uh, he said, anytime you aim for the middle, anytime you aim for the masses, you disappear immediately. And I think he had one quote, which is really spectacular in this book, where he was like, the opposite of incredible is very good. No one talks about very good. If you go on a plane and you get from one destination to the next, you don't celebrate that. You only hear about it if it's incredible or catastrophic. So um, he said the so he said the opposite of of incredible is very good because it's the opposite of being relevant is irre irrelevant and irrelevant is just very good or good enough, which is completely different. I'm sorry for hogging the mic so much. No, right now. I like I like that you because you I know you have a lot to say and like you you internalize a lot of his stuff. So, and I'm also still waking up. So please do. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's fantastic. It's interesting because it's completely different than the, uh, what you, what you hear about specifically in our lives with, um, with indie publishing where good enough is the gold standard, uh, and publish rapidly is the like path to success. And I feel like Seth Godin is against that almost. Um, oh, that's because interesting. I never thought of that because he talks about standing out. Uh, mm -hmm. he talks about like, he point blank says good enough is not good enough. It's, it makes you irrelevant. And that's, that's sort of true to an extent. Now he also said, he specifically talked about mailing lists. And, and this is where I, like, I feel like Grant Cardone may have read like two pages of Seth Godin and said, okay, good enough. Uh, Cause he, he did say that like, you don't want to, or like you want to regularly give the people that are invested in your uh, work uh, the opportunity to connect with you. And so like sending out regular emails over a mailing list is a good idea. However, he also said you don't want to alienate them. So he also, he makes it very clear that you have to make sure that you've locked down your audience and that you found the people that have fully bought into your, um, into your products uh, before you do that. He also said the worst thing you can do is nothing. So I think that's where Grant Cardone is like, if the worst thing you can do is nothing, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm, I'm going to do, do everything, everything always. Do everything, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think that I think what was interesting about this book was that the concept of the purple cow was really about um, looking not at marketing strategies, but looking at the, the strategy of what makes your product connect with your audience the most. And I know that that sounds very obvious. But it also made me feel better because I hate doing like trying marketing tactics. I hate trying like oh, how do I do ads for this? Or how do I, you know, I, I hate all of that element of it because I just don't, I, I want to, part of what I enjoy about being a business owner is getting to 
build genuine and genuine and individualized connections with other people and getting to hear one-on-one -on -one from people who liked things and things like that. It's not about trying to hit mass numbers. It really is that. So I, I read that and I liked that because I was like, okay, that's good. But it also made me like, okay, when you kept going, don't change the marketing strategy, change the products. And I'm like, oh, but but I already have products. I don't want to change them. I don't know what to do. So I was thinking about that. But yeah, I think I definitely think this book is onto something. I think we have so many discussions we have to have. So we have to have the one about indie publishing, but we also first have to talk about Twilight because we started ta this conversation talking about Twilight and how I watched all the Twilight movies. I just want to touch on one thing you said though, that because yeah. it's directly in the books. I think it's, I think it's interesting. I want to talk about it in the book and then I want to talk about it in our lives personally. So in Please the do. book, he yeah. talked about Best Buy, which is what you said. Best Buy created a company not based on wanting to sell products, but wanting to sell what people were looking to buy. So rather than becoming huge immediately, they found what certain people were looking for and started selling to them and they grew from there, which really worked out well for them. They, they're still around after all this time, even after the decline of big box stores. Yeah. Um, apply that to our, to our lives. I think Cancel Sean Boston is gonna be the biggest book that either of us have written with the exception of maybe Savvy Business Owner because it's nonfiction. So I'll say fiction book that yeah. either of us have written because as he says, he didn't say this in Purple Cow, he said this in an interview. He said, most people go through life making keys and then looking for a lock instead of finding the lock and then making a key for it. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. like such a great analogy for products. Don't, don't make your product and then look for the audience. Find an audience that that's energizes true. you and then make something for that audience. Basically, yeah. When we wrote Cancel Sean Boston, that wasn't us being like, uh, well, we did want to write a book together, but we weren't like, oh, we have, we are very passionate about a random book topic, and then we'll find whoever wants to read that. No, it was like we had both been YouTubers for like a year at this point, and we were like, everyone loves YouTube drama and everyone loves books, so let's make a book about YouTube drama. And the audiences get like they've actually get <laughs> input the entire way. I know. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited for guys. I'm excited for cancel Sean Boston. I think people are going to like it. I hope. And, well, I, I think they will because they've been with it since the very beginning. They've given input. Like they've, yeah. we've almost been writing this with beta readers the entire time. Yeah. And I think that's why this process, this process has been slower than any other book we've written and also faster than any book. It's been slower and faster at the same time. Editing has been faster. Writing has been slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been slower because we're like spacing it out with like we're doing things once a week. I guess like during NaNoWriMo last year we did more, but like we do things once a week. We're spacing it out. We're only doing it when people are right there with us. But it's also been faster because we didn't have to go through like a, a separate beta reading stage, a separate developmental editing stage, a separate whatever with different like because we we did everything live with people giving feedback while we were doing it, and I love that. That's what's so fun about this. Uh, Marie, define insta-influencer. I agree also. I completely agree. Define insta-influencer because I think like if someone became an insta-influencer for fitness and they're selling fitness products, I, I do think that they found the lock first. Um, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I, I, I guess I see your point of they made the lock. Like, yeah, they, they made their own lock and then they've, they're selling the keys to everyone else. So that I could see that metaphor. Um, and again, if it, like that was just a quote that really resonated with me. I'm not saying that's an that's an analogy that you have to live your life by. Um, I just I just thought it made sense when I heard it. Um, Joe said, "Anyone read the first fan fiction? Do you mean the first fan fiction ever written, or the first fan fiction of Cancel Sean Boston? Because Dude, the first both fan fiction ever written is going to be brilliant." 
Because in both cases, no, I haven't. Can you send me a link or can you tell me where it is? I want to know. I hope it's the first fan fiction ever written. I really hope it's like, guys, we found hieroglyphic fan fiction. We found this fan fiction of like, it's all about like... Um, Anubis and Osiris got it. Wait, 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 oh, wait, Joe, where, there, is there Cancel Sean Boston fan fiction out there? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it on uh, Wattpad? Where is it? Where Where's the beef? Where's, Where's the fiction? <laughs> <laughs> Where's yeah, that we were... kosher beef? <sighs> um, oh, Insta Influencers, the, the show with James Charles, I think Kat's saying. Oh, um, off. I mean, James Charles is uh, yeah, I mean, hiding his key in okay. underage locks. Let's... <laughs> oh, actually, so I don't want to age restrict the stream. So I'm going to do, my, I'm not going to say anything graphic, but I thought I was on Adrian's stream yesterday and I thought of a brilliant idea yeah. for, ero for erotica authors. Yeah. That would have really cornered the market. What, what if erotica authors had OnlyFans accounts where they like cosplayed scenes from their erotica on OnlyFans? That was my original plan when I was going to be an erotica author, actually. They would have made so much money. You would have made so much money. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, um, well, I didn't, yeah, it was just the, the thought of having to do extra marketing like having to market a whole nother character was a lot of work already and then also the problem is that overall on on the whole only fans customers and erotic fiction authors on kindle are not the same group but wouldn't they funnel into one or the other or i don't know because like would it be a double funnel i think that people <laughs> who read erotica really really value at least this is what i found when i was looking into doing this myself um what i found is that I love um, that you research this. <laughs> <laughs> I have an idea. Well, I actually researched it. Here are my findings. Well, well, I mean, I thought it would be a good way to make money, but it's really not. Um, so, like, well, okay. So, people who read erotica for the most part are people who um, prefer written sex scenes to visual sex scenes, right? Like, I feel like there are people who both read erotica and watch porn, but often there are there are different groups of people who prefer one or the other based on if they're a more visual person or a more like word person. I think it has to do the same with like, do you read more books or watch more movies? And you know, a lot, most people do both to an extent, but there's, there's definitely a, a crossover. And I don't think people get the same thing necessarily from reading erotica that they do from watching something visually. So I think that like, if that's the, the thing, I don't know. I found that for example, Erotica is mostly read by um, adult women. And, and porn is watched by men. Porn is watched by men, mostly. Which is not to say that there, there's definitely crossover. There, I was going to say, there is that Venn diagram that you'd like double capitalize on. That's true. That could be the purple cow, I guess. Hit, hit it with, that, uh, with that, 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 that group right there. Yeah, that's the target audience. That can be the main fans. Um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. But yeah, I think that the, the audiences aren't necessarily big enough to, to quickly find. You'd have to spend time finding that exact target audience. And it's like you're saying, you know, make the make the key for the lock instead of... So like... Find I, the lock and then make the key. Yeah. Find the lock. Yeah, I, I haven't found the lock yet for that. But I mean, I'm sure it exists. So find the searching. Loch Ness Monster. Keep searching. Um, Keep searching for that. So, so now you want to go back and talk about um, 
Twilight and how it's a purple, what it's purple cow is. Yeah. Okay. So twi- how is Twilight a purple cow is the question. And I think that Twilight, I think this is probably what, what maybe what cancel Sean Boston's going to be too. Twilight hit this beautiful place of being both, uh, not both, all three of uh, having massive pieces of the population, love it genuinely, love it ironically and hate it genuinely all at the same time. There was nobody who was like, I don't know what Twilight is. It's a triple threat. It was a triple threat. People were either like, I'm legitimately in love with the Twilight characters, or people were like, I am going to ironically read Twilight to make fun of it. Or people would be like, Twilight is so dumb. Let's talk about how much we hate Twilight (laughs) and how stupid it is. So everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about it. It was... But why? Well, I would say one thing... Is do we have to break down each of those groups or was it all for the same reason, do you think? Like, did the did the people who genuinely love it, did they love it for the same people that the people who ironically or, un- or who ironically loved it? And did they did they love it for the same reason that everyone else hated it and See, hated I, it passionately? I don't know, because I think that the people who hated it passionately, there were there wasn't just one reason for that. I think that like why I hate Twilight is different than why someone else, other people I know hate Twilight. Like some people hate Twilight because like I said, you want to hate things that are popular and people are like, oh, Twilight is so basic. The love story is dumb. Basically, some people I know are hating on Twilight just because they hate romance in general as a genre and they don't understand that it's full of romance genre conventions. And like, that's, that's one thing people hate. I personally hate Twilight because of how much okay groomer energy it has. Okay groomer. <laughs> I, I hate Twilight because of, yeah, because of the fact that it's like vampires have been around for hundreds of years and they they have all this time that they could be going to get all these different degrees and start different careers and benefit society, but instead they just keep going to high school and hitting on minors. like With the exception of the dad who became a doctor. Or yeah. Well, he became a doctor before he was a... But he still helps people. Yeah, I mean, he seems he seems cool. Like, I'm I have no problem with him. He seems to be like the only one who's doing something useful for the world. He like, found purpose yeah. in immortal life, which is important. So that's that's a reason that I hated Twilight. Um, I also like. I think that there's a key problem in it, which is that none of the characters have any interests in anything or any passions for anything, and as a result, it's really hard to connect with the story emotionally because nobody's nobody has any any interests or any passions and when people do things you're like i don't really know why you did this other than it was exciting for the plot i guess but it wasn't exciting because i don't understand what the motivation was so patricia oh oh, sorry go ahead Patricia made a good point too, which Seth Godin talks about, which is nobody was lukewarm about it. And that's a purple yes, cow thing. Exactly. Um, that's why Twilight's a purple cow. No one was lukewarm about it. No one was like, Twilight was all right. No one read the book and was like, yeah, I thought it was good. <laughs> like People either read it and they fell in love with it or they read it and they were like, this book is so stupid. I want to burn it. Yeah. He had a section in um, the book on music, which we can then apply that to books as well, which is, uh, top 40 hit music uh, it used to be a lot more predictable uh, so people would just try and copy hits but now it's less predictable um, and and the more formulaic you are the more you just get lost in the very good crowd um, and I think we can see that with with writing books as well a lot of authors 
I know I've certainly done this, have gone into something and say, how can I make this book like this and capital and capitalize on that momentum or that audience? And in reality, if you do that, you're putting a ceiling on yourself. And if you're putting a ceiling on yourself, um, chances are you won't even hit that ceiling. Uh, so, so I, I think that that's a very interesting point of instead of trying to capitalize on existing audiences, finding the early adapters like Chuck Tingle, who revolutionized erotica and, and turning them into zealous, uh, zealous advocates, um, is, is how you really do it. He also taught touches on creatives quite a bit, not in purple cow, but just in his interviews too. Cause he talks about how the greatest creatives in purple cow, he talked about Pearl jam, but, um, outside of it, he talks about some of the greatest creatives and how they reinvent themselves regularly. And that's how they don't just stay relevant, but stay iconic. Like Joni Mitchell was one example mm -hmm. he had. Um, and then in Purple Cow, he talked about Pearl Jam, uh, which was just cre created such a small, passionate fan base. Uh, and it just delivered so consistently to them that they were so energized. They went out and continued recruiting more and more people. It sounds like I'm describing a pyramid scheme, but since <laughs> but since we're talking about something where the where what people are investing in is personal happiness and not financial gain is different. Yeah. So I think, um, what was I going to say? It's something to say about Twilight. Oh, Twilight, I think. So there was this whole idea that Twilight like played to teenage girls' fantasies. When I watched it, I was like, there is one fantasy of mine it played to that I would definitely want to immerse myself in, which was the idea that the, the second you're out of high school, you don't have to worry about any college debt or searching for a job or any financial insecurity whatsoever. That was the fantasy. Like she got out of high school, immediately married a really rich vampire and had a, a home. So I would say that was the one fantasy of mine that it played to where I was like, oh, imagine if like the second I became an adult, I didn't have to worry about finding a career or having college debt or any of that. Like she has none of those worries. So you so dig Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I think that it probably played well. Fifty Shades of Grey was Twilight fan fiction. Yeah, and actually, I, mean, I, I saw I, one scene of the movie where he was running, and I was like, "This is Edward Cullen running." Yeah, at first I didn't understand how it was Twilight fan fiction, but I did see the movie Fifty Shades of Grey, and now that I've seen the Twilight movies, I I understand. It makes sense. It and makes I, perfect sense. Actually, I'm gonna watch the Fifty Shades of Grey movies next weekend, so we can talk I haven't about seen those. Them yet. Um, they're I don't want to uh, see them with a friend. Right. That, that, that doesn't feel like that doesn't feel like a wash party kind of movie. That feels like yeah, a, a shame I, I, mean, I saw in the it with one of my of friends in college, but we were um, in talks. That's different. <laughs> That's different. College friends do all kinds of weird shit together. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like friends as adults can do weird shit together too, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the weird shit, like the goalpost changes from adulthood to, to college. You think so? Oh, I absolutely. Maybe that's why I don't fit don't in with adulthood so? so well because I I didn't realize I was supposed to to like what things are you what things I think this is one area where I'm just like socially unaware. What what things am I not supposed to do anymore that I did in college? I didn't say not supposed to. Or like what are like some the weird things shit shifted? And it's not it's not, it's not it's not because I'm not supposed. It's not it's not because it's not supposed to. It's because what we define as fun has changed since college, at least for me, and I'm assuming for more than just me. <laughs> um so what i define if what i define for fun has changed then what i define as as weird and not fun or, or or weird fun has changed as well like everything sort of shifts 
In fun, college, fun. my favorite thing to do was get drunk and watch terrible movies. And as an adult, my favorite thing is also to get drunk and watch terrible movies. So fair enough. I guess it hasn't really changed. I haven't really changed that much. Fair, fair, fair enough. But I do think that, for example, a lot of people really love to go out and party during college, and then oh, after college, yeah. And then after college, if you continue going out and partying, you become kind of a loser. Yeah, I kind of, I'm worried about that because I'm planning to, like, I was going out and party. I plan to continue it after you know, everyone's vaccinated and stuff. I hope I don't become kind of a loser for that. Depends on the parties. Like, well, I, I'm again, not going to continue to go to parties with college-age people because that would be that weird. That would make you a loser. That but would no, make me you're a doing loser. Like rage, if you're doing, like, ragers until three in the morning, like, you're going to be, you're, like, you're a loser for a solid three days. Like, I think you become cool again. Later on in life, if you're like 70 and doing a rage until four in the morning, then you're just fucking but awesome. If you're 30, but I think there's like, a solid, yeah, yeah, I think there's a few decades where you're supposed to get, because like when you're at that age, you, you clear, you've lived a life. Like right now, we're still trying to build a life. When you're that age, you've lived a life and then you can do whatever the fuck you want. Like in a little bit of sunshine where the grandpa was like, at your age, you're crazy to do heroin. At my age, I'm crazy not to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. I think I'll take the risk and just be a loser by just doing whatever I feel like doing. Fair enough. But again, I was just thinking, I mean, but I don't think all parties either. Like, I'm not trying to lump in all parties. Like, I hosted a murder mystery party before moving to New Orleans, which was a blast. But that was oh, it's not I like before, it's all night rager. Before we, um, before the pandemic, almost every weekend, Tyler and I would host, we would host Get Drunk and Watch Shitty V Movies parties. And they weren't, I don't know, a rager. They weren't uh, like hundreds like of people trashing the like apartment. House. It wasn't yeah. like that. It was mostly just like, Friends would come over and we would get drunk and watch bad movies until as late as we wanted to. And then people would leave the next morning. I mean, that doesn't sound like anything you'd get judged for. I hope not because I'm planning to go right back to it the second um, I get my, uh, like the two weeks after I get my second vaccine. My college party comment was more about people who can't leave like frat life behind. Right. If I was still going to frat houses at almost 30, that or was- Or hosting similar kind of frat parties at your house with the similar- I don't know. I miss those a lot. The only reason that I don't host them is that I think like when you're in college, you have a lot of people who you're already friends with that live very close to you. Afterwards, people spread out and move away for jobs and stuff. Well, it's also your neighbors in college. If you your neighbors are other students who expect there to be wild ragers, you're kind of an asshole if you're throwing a rager and keeping all of yeah. your neighbors. Yeah, but I'm a person who okay. I've, this is an interesting discussion, and I think that I'm the. I definitely think that once again, I'm the outlier on this. I thought you were going to say you're the asshole. I thought you were going to say this is an interesting discussion, and I'm definitely the asshole on this. One. <laughs> I mean, I think I am. Yep, but we. Um, I was talking to Tyler about this. When we walk down the street, whenever someone in our neighborhood is having a party in their apartment, I always feel a rush of sadness that I wasn't invited. And he'll be like, you don't know that person. That is a stranger. And I would be like, yeah, but I wish that we lived in a culture where it was normal that if someone's having a party and someone someone could just show up because it's a party. The point is that people are supposed to show up. And he was like, no, you don't want random people you don't know just showing up at your house. And I'm like, Why? He was like, because people could steal something. And I'm like, oh, that's just a risk you run with living. But in your scenario, you're saying we live in a culture where that's normal. So therefore, you would assume that in that culture, people don't come to random houses and steal. Yeah, exactly. That like, yeah, exactly. And you also, built a beautiful like, utopia. If someone came, if someone, or even in this culture, if someone came over and acted like they were about to steal something, like there would be tons of other people at this party who would all like run them out the door. Before they stole something. 
before they stole something. Yeah. Or Not if they were about to steal something. I mean, if someone steals something small, maybe, but if they're about to like steal the whole TV or something, then people would catch them, you know? What kind of parties did you go to in college? People were trying to steal the whole TV. I don't, I don't, but that's Tyler's worry is that if we just allowed anybody into our house, whenever, then someone who wants to steal things would come in, which makes sense. Like, I, I see how if you're a thief, it would make sense that if you, if people were hosting a party, that seems like a good opportunity for you to well, just get dirt, in. Though. Like, I mean, so my big thing is I like keeping my parties small because I don't want people wearing shoes in my house. Like, it's such a, it's, it's a small thing I know, but like, I don't want shoes in my house. I don't want, I don't want your dirty outside footwear in, in my, in my home where I sleep, where I lay down. Where I, think. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's cool to wear shoes in people's house. You should probably take them off. But if people, if, if people you're throwing a rager out, if you're throwing a rager and people don't listen, you can just wash the floor the next day. But it's also like I can understand why people wouldn't want to take. Well, first off, if you throw a rager, it's going to smell like crazy because people are going to take their shoes off, or they're not going to take their shoes off because they don't want to have people step on their feet. So then you get that funky foot smell. Um, you're also getting so. Oh God, why do you like parties, dude? Oh, Keelan likes parties too. I see she's here. I love parties, dude. Fucking Canadians. Uh, I'm just gonna read the comments unless yeah. you watch you. No, I'm just like I. I wish like we could like I looked at like there's they used to have those like YouTuber parties in LA, and I'm like, man, I wish we could go to those. YouTuber don't parties. look fun at those all. Look so much fun because you those you, look you, disgusting. You hang out with other creators that you've worked on videos with, or that you watch their stuff, and you get to meet each other, and you get drunk together. Oh, the second you meet them, and you realize they're assholes too. We're all assholes. Like, nope. It's fine. YouTube is a special kind of asshole. Like you sort of know the people at the Oscars aren't the characters they play in movies, but YouTubers are like, "Hey guys, this is my normal life. I swear to God, I'm not lying whatsoever." And then you meet them, and they just are. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty honest on my YouTube channel. So you say. So I say. I mean, I so guess people say. people can choose not to believe me, but yeah, on my YouTube channel, I pretty much show my life exactly as it is. But you also show, call yourself an outlier constantly on well, every you, topic. I call myself an outlier because you call me an outlier. I no, you. You're, I've never used the word outlier in our conversations. I've agreed with you when you bring what it up. What have you I, said that? That what was the word you used? Because. You're always the. I, I don't always, think I ever called you that. I think, yeah, I, think I, I just. I think I've just agreed with you. No, 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 no. Because I've always, I've always thought that my experiences were the norm, and then when I describe them, you're like, yeah, but do you think you're an outlier? No, no. I say the exception, and I just ask, and I never oh, call the you exception. that. I, I never call you that. I ask if you think you're the exception. I, well, I, I, Okay. I did the Socratic, is it Socratic method? I, I asked questions. Oh, sorry, you were asking questions, and I thought that maybe you were, you were saying that you thought that was true. No, I ask questions because you can't get in trouble for asking questions, right? <laughs> or can you? I don't fucking know. Hey, you're, less you're less likely to offend I if mean, you're to be questions. fair, though, the first question you normally would ask people on our writing streams would be, what is your yearly income and social security number? <laughs> no, do I have social security number? Like, I, I, I thought I'd just say, like... Uh, no, you would say, what's your religion, political and religious Political affiliation and annual income. It. <laughs> yeah, but like I also don't want them to actually answer that. It's it's me just like saying, "Hey guys, ask anything you want," and like I just start by breaking the ice with that by saying, "See, I'll ask the most extravagant, not safe for dinner questions that you have, so now you can ask anything you want." So okay, weird. Oh, Brittany, I'll come to Pennsylvania because um, my brother and grandma live there, so I would come to visit them, and I'll visit you. Nice. You got Sabby coming to PA. Uh, okay, weird has ready clips first because she didn't know it was a series and her wee bass read an Edward Goldeneye and I just pictured Edward as Edward Elric. For the, I mean, that's a beautiful thought. Um, 
no one can get close to Tom Clancy. I won't waste time reading The Pretenders. Fair enough. I, I've only read one Tom Clancy book. Um, somebody handed me a Twilight book because I like Anne Rice before the movies and stuff. So I went into it blind, hated the book. Movies weren't awful. Nice, Kim. Uh, Cher's throwing a 56 party soon. Amanda's Yay. college roommate became her adulthood best friend. Some Yay. of their activities have changed, but there are some silly things we still enjoy doing. It's part of how we bonded. Fair enough, but that's fair enough. If, that, if that's a connection that you made in college and you've grown with it. I mean, maybe I'm unique because I don't really have that many college friends. Uh, partying in rough, in rough in my thirties, I can only do it like once a year. Then I need to sleep it off for like six months. I, I, I hear that. So I don't, I don't really party. I go out and see music. Like that's my thing. I like to go out and see music. Um, I go bodies. out and see music and party. Sometimes I'll go out and see music with friends and then we come back to my house and then have a party. Fair enough. That's fair enough. Bonnie's so going to host a week-long camping rage. Ooh, that sounds fun. wild. Sounds dangerous. I like parties with outdoor fire pits and drums. Yeah, Cher, we get it. You're, you're awesome. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're also cool, Cher, so it works. Uh, Amanda's body reacts poorly to alcohol. That's why you got to smoke weed. Um, I don't party. I soiree. I appreciate that. Okay, weird. Uh, Cher, Cher, thank likes, you for inviting me. I will come to it. Cher, where, what part of the country do you live in? Kimberly, did you go to uh, Arizona State? Is that the number one party school or did you go to West Virginia? Those are like the two big party schools I can think of off the top of my head. Cher likes artsy parties. Bonnie loves you. Marie agrees with you. Marie has FOMO. <laughs> I Marie, do too, dude. So much. That <laughs> Marie, my college partying was a thing called palm court parties. Don't dance parties in the court between our dorms. Fair enough. Oh, that's right. Cher lives in Boston. Cher, I'll come visit you in Boston. I'll come to your party. It'll be great. Keelan was at a friend's house once and the girls next door came over with wine and asked if they could join the party and they were so much fun. I wish I had the balls to do that. I I feel like most people would let you in with wine, Keelan. You you, you just have that non-threatening presence. Like you, you just have that, uh, I don't know, friendly air about you. I feel like most people meet you and want to be your friend. It's, 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 it's nice. I, I feel like you could be friends with almost anyone. In Indy, people were awful. I knew we who were invited over and stole from me. Uh, like there was a party happening at my friend's place. Okay, got it. What, we're almost caught up on comments. Once I was at a house party, one time at band camp, and I said Jeremy came with, uh, Jeremy, did we crash this party? That, that's a funny thing to ask your friend. My friend did this problem once, wandered into what turned out to be a high school rate. That's a problem. That's a problem. You don't want to walk into a high school rager. Had too many crazy people who were invited added to the uninvited element be too much fun. Keelan, there's so much snow here. Everyone takes their shoes off. It's like the unspoken rule not to steal shoes. Your phone, fair game. Shoes, nah. Fair enough. I like the Canadians have some bizarre manners. I like garden parties and barbecues. I miss not parties like cookouts and barbecues. Yeah, bar barbecues are fun. I'll host a Your Morning Guru party up in Canada. All the people in the chat are invited. Thanks, I won't be there. Uh, the older I get, the less I understand how I was able to force myself to go to parties. I agree with you, Amanda. Okay, thanks, Bet, for, for correcting me on the, the deductive things. Okay, so PA parties, I just, I think we're almost caught up. Conversation makes it super clear how much of the extrovert savvy is. Yep. Okay, I think we're pretty much all what caught up. What I'm Indiana. interested in is from Sharma talking about how Twilight, what was the religious propaganda in Twilight? I must have completely missed it. What was Twilight? I didn't even notice there was religious propaganda in it. For what religion and for, wait, what? Oh, so are you saying the movies or the books? 
Because, Sabby, did you read the books or just see the movies? No, I just saw the movies. I haven't read the books. Maybe I can read the books and do a review, but I'm... I also don't know much about most religions, so when people are like, oh, this is obviously an allusion to the Bible or whatever, I'm like, really? I didn't notice. Man, only real authors allude to the Bible. <laughs> so I, I need, Yeah, I need to know more. Oh, she's Mormon? Really? She's Mormon? I didn't get that at all. I guess none of the characters are, like, drinking coffee or anything. I saw, I saw Moron. And so I saw, like, people calling her a moron for four straight comments for a second. Oh, I think people are talking about, okay, so there's a little bit of a, of a pro-life type of thing in it that I definitely did see in the movie. Um, the whole, the child is a gift even if it will kill you thing. That There was definitely a little bit of that in the fourth movie, I think, where she's... Gets she pregnant. Gets, she gets pregnant with the vampire baby and it's trying to kill her. And people are like, dude, we just need to, we need to just just squash this baby because it's killing you and she was like no i'm gonna have this baby and then edward's all like dude if it kills you and then i'm stuck raising a baby that killed you i'm gonna be resentful toward the baby and i was like that's kind of reasonable not gonna lie that's the first reasonable thing edward said in this entire entire series and then she's like she mm -hmm. with a baby. oh my god okay wait guys quick question <laughs> so mormonism supports that okay did, did jacob so Jacob imprinted on the baby. And I assume that that meant that he was like trying to, to be protective of the baby, that it was supposed to give him protective wolf instincts to protect the baby from danger. However, then it shows a flash forward where Bella and Edward are together and Jacob and the grown up version of the baby are together. And I was like, is that like he adopted her like his daughter or is she dating him? Oh, like, he married, it's romantic. He married the baby? It's romantic. What? Yeah, it's it's fucked up. It's 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 double okay groomer. Both love interests are okay groomers. Oh my god. Yeah, as Katie said, imprinting meant he was it was his soulmate. Not that she had any say over it. She wasn't even born yet. <laughs> I thought as a werewolf, though, you also didn't have control over who you imprinted on. I thought it was the thing that, like, you're, you were drawn to. That's how he made it sound. I mean, he yeah, according to plot convenience, because she wanted to make sure both love interests had a part of Bella's genes, he didn't have any control over it, or else it would have been fucking weird. <laughs> Not meant so her, like, what she did was made it fucking weird, but so Okay, so as Ginger weird. pointed out, okay, so Jacob was in love with Bella the whole time, but it was really just his soul wanting her future her. baby, like her egg. That's why he was attracted to her because her. He was attracted was, to her uterus. He was. <laughs> guys, this this is more messed up than I could have ever imagined. She really this wanted is, everyone to end up with someone. Like I was already appalled and disgusted with like Edwards, literally in his hundreds dating an underage girl and using all of the common abuse techniques of like i didn't do i didn't tell you about this to protect you i physically prevented you from doing this thing to protect you like he's being all kinds of red flags just dropping red flags all over the field and i was already disgusted and then it just keeps getting worse keeps getting worse well she wanted to make edward feel like she wanted to make edward seem good so she was like how can i make this 117 year old uh groomer look good i know i'll have someone be sexually attracted to a baby 
Are those Mormon values? Apparently. I didn't think those were Mormon values. I also didn't think that, like, I don't know much about Mormons, but I thought that they weren't really into, like, vampires and supernatural things. I don't know. All I know is that, it, according to someone in our chat, they sent me a, a graph. I forgot who it was now. Shit. Who, who sent me the graph of what happens in Mormonism when you, when you die? Like, there are, like, three planets and then outer darkness. It's in our it's in our Instagram. I can go quickly look for it. Okay, Sharma, is that mostly in the books? Because it says the propaganda starts with sex is bad and will corrupt your soul until you are married. Is that is that just mostly a, a book thing? Because I didn't really get that from the movies. What I got from the movies was that they were afraid to have sex because his vampires his vampire super strength was so powerful that it could it could break her. Dude, your like, con your conversation on this. Your conversation on this of are the straights okay? Why wasn't he just bottom? All right. I was like, okay, because he kept getting on top of her and it was like he's were he's so scared of destroying her. I'm like, why doesn't she just get on top? <laughs> why does why not like and then someone commented on it on Twitter and was like, well, because then his super strength could shoot her up into the ceiling. <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious. I want to see that. Yeah, the amount of uh, why? Oh God! Like ugh, I don't even fuck. I can't wrap my head around it. Like it wasn't just the people. So, so the purple cow for this, I do think Patricia nailed it. With it. no one is lukewarm about Twilight because you got you get this reaction from it. You can either laugh your ass off at it or you love it unironically, which is bizarre, or you actively hate it, which is also I think bizarre. Um, Quick question about Twilight, though, just so I understand the plot of it a little better. Okay, so if it's supposed to have this Mormon undertone of the family unit is is supposed to always stay together, then why were the movies just so cool with Bella being so awful to her dad and just leaving him behind? Like, there's the whole... Like, she doesn't even tell her dad she's pregnant, let alone that she has the baby. She doesn't tell her dad anything and then when she goes to see him she's like you just gotta trust me dad you can't know anything about what's going on go back home and then she basically cuts her dad who's literally her dad is the nicest person oh she the said the movie. same thing her mom said when she left her dad too and yeah, she even yeah, says is, that in the movie she does yeah she's like i just said the same thing mom said when she left him i'm like what the fuck dude so how is that promoting family unit values that is all about bella being like i'm gonna prioritize how horny i am for this vampire over my dad who loves me like that doesn't seem like a good mormon value oh the it's... cullens are the ideal family okay they all marry each other they all marry the ideal family like that's that's straight up out of the office where michael scott says all my kids grew up and married each other <laughs> that's basically what this is the other thing i hated about bella was that she was like her friends were all, like, literally the nicest people. I was like, does she not realize how lucky she is to have this many, like, extremely actively nice friends in high school who, like, when she, like, ditches them for months to go hang out with her vampire boyfriend, they're all just like, oh, hey, you're back. That's cool. Let's go. Let's go to the movies or whatever. Like, they're just, like, they're just, like, so nice. And she just, like, keeps ditching them. How yeah. And like, she just became, just... like, the coolest girl in school for no reason. Like, Anna Kendrick, I had the feeling, was the coolest girl in school. Dude, Anna and Kendrick sudden... was actually the coolest. Like, she, she, I liked her the best. And then Bella was just like, okay, I'm here with no personality. And Anna was like, oh, God, I wish I was more like her. 
makes no sense. And I think I know the whole like no personality thing was intentional so people could project onto her, but it didn't work for me because like I I was someone who had a huge personality and was really loud, at, which is how I still am. So I just was like, I can't relate to this character because I would be like, oh my God, guys, I fucked a vampire. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> now come to read about it on my blog. Read about it on my blog. I'm gonna make a story time video. Hey guys, here's the story of how I fucked a vampire. <laughs> Navi Mojo or whatever. <laughs> um, to, someone said they weren't family or something like that. I, yeah, they weren't related to each other. They chose to be family. So I think it's a reflection of the church or something. I, yeah, I, I don't get it either. I mean, like you could say they're not related, but they still called the same two people, mom and dad. So... It's yeah. Fucking weird. <laughs> also, like, they were all like, Bella can never tell her dad about being va- a vampire because it's now you can't have any outsiders know about vampires. But she was an outsider who knew about vampires for like three years before she became one. And nobody died from that. So I don't really, this, this stuff just wasn't consistent. Yeah, we started off with Purple Cow. And now we're well, talking about... Okay, no, we're back to Purple Cow. So oh, the- no, no, because I, I, I was just reading the chat because everyone is really into Twilight. So I think twi- I think this is a sign you got to make a Twilight this series video. This is the perfect example of a Purple Cow, though, I think. So as, as, as a bunch of you guys pointed out as well, no one was neutral about Twilight, right? Everybody had an opinion. They either loved it or hated it or loved it ironically or loved to hate it or something. There was always an opinion people had on it. My question is, why do we think that is? Because I think if we analyze what made Twilight so successful, we're going to get to the crux of how to make a purple cow, I think. But I think part of the re- a part of what a purple cow is, is... I guess you, you can't predict, can't it. predict so, it. Yeah. You can't predict it. You can't... I guess you can't try intentionally to make a purple cow because it, it, you there's a variety of factors that are outside your control. But I still... I'm curious into what people think made it the way it is. Why do we think that Twilight was something that you either love or hate like why why was it like that because i mean i mean i feel like harry potter had a similar level of craze but there are plenty of people who were completely like i've been neutral about harry potter from the beginning i'm like yeah whatever it's fine the books are pretty good okay it doesn't have the same level of hate i'd say It, it doesn't have the same level of hate it does have the same level of love but there are it has more of that element of like some people who just think it's good or i think it has more love okay yeah i think it has more love because it has adult love like, it's multi-generational. Twilight is very specific with who loves it. No, dude, a lot of adult women I love Twilight. But do their parents? Do their parents? Like, when I'm I an adult. adult women, I'm talking about women in their 50s. Okay, fair. But I'm, 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 all I'm saying is, like, with Harry Potter, like, I, I loved Harry Potter, and my parents loved Harry Potter, and my grandparents loved Harry Potter. Like, everyone in my family who read, who read it or was involved with it loved it. Uh, so that's sort of what I, that's sort of what I mean by multi generational. Like it could have been a whole family experience. So Keelan brings up a good point that I think that part of what made it so so much of a target for hate from the beginning, even outside of the plot, is that it's easy to hate what teenage girls like because society just that's villainizes fair. teenage girls for no reason. Really, I think it's just they're an easy target to make fun of, which is mean. People like to bully teenage girls for some reason. So, but I think that if you make something specifically targeted at teenage girls, even if it's genuinely good, there are going to be people who hate it just for the sake that, oh, this is a teenage girl thing, so it must be stupid. That's fair. But like then I look at, there, there were two shows 
on Nickelodeon that centered around teenage girls that were huge successes because they centered around like they they, they were purple cows and the purple and that the the, the 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 logic of the era was girls were watch shows about boys but boys won't watch shows like about girls and then they dropped uh, Clarissa I think that was called what it was called and yeah and, and Alex Mack and they both had huge audiences outside of the teenage girls. Nickelodeon was really, really good at that, though. Nickelodeon was really good at making shows that appealed to everybody, which was, I think, what made it so special, especially because all their shows appealed to adults and kids and now appeal to, like, if you if uh, look back on the shows from the 90s as an adult, they still hold up. So it's like they did. They did, Nickelodeon was a bit of a purple cow, too, in that way. It absolutely was because it was it was meant to be like a complete children's network. And the first one that was a complete children's network, everything was made for kids and it spoke to kids with, with respect. Like it was the first one that really went to like what actually bothers a kid. Uh, that, that orange years documentary, I still can't recommend it. Enough. Oh, I need to watch the orange years documentary. We can talk about, maybe I'll watch it today and we can talk about it tomorrow because I think that we can talk about the purple cow elements of Nickelodeon as well. That would be great. That would be a great topic. I'll even rewatch yeah. it tonight. Uh, because like this is one scene where they talk about it's a really powerful scene of how when Magic Johnson came out HIV positive and they brought him on to talk about HIV and there were three kids that he was talking to on the show at that time who were HIV positive who were born with it and it was a really powerful moment that reached that like spoke to kids with a respect and an intelligence that they didn't get anywhere else. And that's amazing too because in the in the 80s and 90s there was really not a lot of HIV education because there was a lot of propaganda that oh this is a disease you get from sex and sex is sinful and all of that. And it, it completely ignored that it was basically a pandemic and that plenty of kids were getting it from from birth from their parents and that it was spreading especially in in a lot of developing countries and things like that. But yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, and it, it was it, it, like it's really bad. Like it's it's multiple decades later, and it's still such an emotional scene. Um, and I I respect that Kitty wanted to be Alex Mack. Yeah. Okay. Weird brings up a good point too, which is that um, the, originally the Beatles and Elvis also got that same level of hate because teenage girls liked the liked the Beatles and Elvis so much that people thought it was just like, oh, this is just silly pop music that teenage girls like, but the music held up. The music held up over the years. And I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, Sharma, I agree. I think what's interesting about um, Nickelodeon shows was they they really they had the same appeal to kids and to adults because they, I think, I think a lot of kids or kids programming tried to be educational and things like that, which is fine. But I think that this tried to be just like entertainment that met kids on the level where they are, but also had plots and messages interesting enough that adults could still connect with them and not get bored. And I think that's something that's really special. That's a really good use of like finding your audience. And I think part of it might've been that they also were they they wanted to age up with their audience too because it's not necessarily that they were appealing to to kids and adults at first but as their uh, original kids became adults they wanted to keep them yeah exactly also animation uh has a history of really clever writers who um who who want to sneak in adult humor without anyone yeah. noticing 
Uh, Caroline brings up a good point, though. Nickelodeon, at least all the Dan Schneider shows, were super terrible with how they treated their child actors. Yeah, I mean, Dan Schneider was... In, as uh, We all know what kind of guy he was. Um, yeah, and anytime you work with kids, there's that there's that nature of exploitation. So so that's also important to remember in this conversation. I just think that Nickelodeon was very... Uh, like, the Orange Years was a very unique look into how they got started and what made them different. We can also look at the cartoons a lot, too, because I think the cartoons were really... Um, Their first three were Doug, Ren and Stimpy, and Rugrats. I mean, that's... Yeah. They hit it out of the park with the first three. Honestly, I think SpongeBob is the most... One of the... Going to be the most culturally relevant cartoons. I think it's going to... I think it's going to become as, as much of a cultural staple as Looney Tunes and the early cartoons did. I could see it. Do they have a theme park yet for SpongeBob or no? I don't know. I don't think so. I'm sure there's SpongeBob things at like Universal Studios or something, but I definitely think that SpongeBob reached that level of. I don't even know if they're making new ones anymore. I know that, that uh, but like a lot of people are still into it. Kids still watch it. Teenagers use memes from it. Like Adults still reference it. Adults reference it constantly. And if you rewatch old SpongeBob episodes, just what, what holds up so nicely about it is not like anything super complex or super meaningful. It's that like, it's how like weirdly funny the jokes are, how amazing the animation is, like how, how interesting they use the medium of animation to make, the specific jokes happen and the specific things happen for the plot and how like it's just it's just a perfect example of what a cartoon should be i think and i think that it's interesting that what we're talking about right now is we said nickelodeon's a purple cow and part of the reason is i think all of its shows were for purple cows like it, it was a purple ranch yeah like because there's definitely nickelodeon shows that weren't successful and that everyone's forgotten about i'm sure oh yeah and they're probably not even that difficult to find i mean as far as I'm trying to I'm trying to think of an irrelevant show. I almost like I see Cat Dog and Hey Arnold in there. I still love them. I think they're still relevant. But um I don't know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? But you know what? Goosebumps. Are you afraid of the dark was is, is still like massive. Goosebumps, people still think of the, the books. They don't necessarily think of the show. Yeah, I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark as a kid. Um Yeah, oh okay, weird. I was just about to bring up Mr. Meaty. You guys remember Mr. Meaty? Not at all. Okay, guys, we're about to... I'm going to bring up some Mr. Meaty because this show... I was like, this is, I think, probably one of their least successful shows. But I also think that... It's kind of memorable for just how weird it is. So let's... Rocket Power was big at its day, but it didn't. It doesn't have the lasting power as the others. Rocket Power is very cool in a late 90s, early 2000s kind of way. I think that it really had that going for it, but I don't think that necessarily it will hold up. Alright, we're going to look at Mr. Meaty. Oh my god, I'm just waiting for the YouTube ads to be done so I can pull it up. It was about Puppets who worked in a fast food restaurant. It absolutely was. Did, did right. Keelan go as Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy with a best friend? That's what you should dress up as when you bring wine to the stranger's party. All right, here we go. Mr. Meaty. All dark creatures, fresh off the grill. So come on down, Mr. Meaty, with friends meet meat. 
Mr. Meaty, nice to meet you. This looks like that prank phone call show that was big on MTV or Comedy I, Central. I don't think I remember that, but I think I think it was probably trying to appeal to that type of look because it, it it looks like something you'd see as a joke on like unlike MTV or something like that. Yeah. Well, the 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 Orange Ears talks about how uh, MTV wanted Ren, wanted to buy Ren and Stimpy from Nick because they felt like it fit their audience better. Yeah. So t Tyler and I have this discussion all the time about you know the Nickelodeon's animation from the late '90s era is very ugly, and I like it. I like how it's ugly. I think the ugly animation is what makes it memorable. But he won't watch it because he thinks the animation is too ugly, and he thinks it just looks like shit. Oh, I, I'm right there with you, especially with like books. Like part of the reason I, there's a number of reasons why I can't get into uh, what's her name, the the, the Shadowhunters author. I don't know. I don't watch it either. Cassandra Clare. There's oh. there's plenty of reasons I can't get into her. Um, one of them is every single character she makes is hot. I I don't think that works. I don't think you can like just write exclusively hot characters. Just create exclusively hot characters. Like I I think ugly adds a lot more texture. Um, Again, you have to watch the Orange Ears. Uh, I, I do. Like, yeah, I keep, yeah. I keep referencing it, but they I'm purposely made the babies and Rugrats ugly. Yeah, I like that it's ugly. Like, the, well, like because you look at the Rugrats animation or the Hey Arnold animation and the um, what else? Uh, like Avril Monsters, like all the animation from those, it's very ugly. But I don't mind. I think that it's a stylistic thing that works. But Tyler won't watch it because he's like, it looks so bad. I can't look at this. And I'm like, that's that's strange to me because I think it's cool. All, all the kids in Hey Arnold, like, they were not... They're all weird looking. They're all weird. They're all weird as fuck. And then Mr. Meaty, everyone's... I think they took the ugliness to the next level. Bloody. So, uh... It's okay, weird. You like blood and stuff? Uh, yeah. Sure, I guess. Would you like a tour of our, uh, dark bloody Mr. Meaty franchise? Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay, well, come on back here. This is really the exciting part back here. This is where all the truly meaty stuff happens. Uh -huh. That's a meat chub spinning there, and that's, um, that's how we skin the animals there. And it's a very powerful microwave, and... Um, well, those are all Parker's snacks, I suppose. Oh. oh, and this is my creepy friend Parker. Oh, hi. Hey, Parker. Yeah, come on over. Let's see what he's doing. Okay. Oh, hey. Hey, you, you do this show so ugly. Kind of love how ugly it is. Yeah, but it's it's. But this, this is this show is not a purple cow. Yeah, it's from Nickelodeon. Nobody yeah, remembers the show though. So this show is not a purple cow. That that feels like a show that probably would have been bigger on MTV. Because yeah. they could have they could have done more too. They could have made it like soup like i mean it already looks sort of sexual like that meat looked like penises but um yeah it, 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 they could have made it super sexual on mtv did he say meat chode it kind of sounded like he said meat chode didn't it he was like here's our meat chode <laughs> um but let's see i'm just catching up with the comments yeah cranky anchors that was the one yeah i i, I mean i lo i loved rocket power cat i i did i just um i did a cosplay as reggie from rocket power one time and I could still get into it. I just am saying, like, compare that to Hey Arnold. I think, hey, like, I, I genuinely, I've been watching it on Hulu, and I still genuinely get invested in Hey Arnold. Dude, Hey Arnold is fantastic. It really does hold up. There's so much to it.
I mean, we had a long we had a long debate about whether the pigeon man was alive or dead. Apparently, he's canonically alive, but I thought that was a big cop out choice on the Hey Arnold creator's part. Magic is canon in that universe. We've already established there are care. three canon oh ghosts. Oh my god! I don't. <laughs> and hell exists in that universe too. So tomorrow we will talk about why Nickelodeon is purple cows based on I will watch the Orange Years documentary tonight um and we'll talk about that um uh, yeah uh i'll, I'll re-watch it with you i'll because I, I think aaron needs okay. to watch it too so i'll, I'll tyler I'll hasn't it. watched it i'll see if he'll watch it i don't know if he wants to but i want to it's it's for research yeah pinky in the brain had one of the catchiest jingles to start a show with oh absolutely yeah no thank you for that bonnie and but i think that's what we can do a lot of this week is talk about how certain, you know, properties that we love, certain books, movies, TV shows, how, what made certain things stand out, what things followed the purple cow principle. We can also, we're going to talk about his book, This Is Marketing as well, once I finish that, and also The Practice, which I have, I have on Audible, but I haven't started yet. But yeah, we've the got a lot of- The Practice is pretty much repeating This Is Marketing, so you, you'll get through it, but it, it won't be, it won't hit as hard as This Is Marketing. So this week is not going to have any, you know, gimmicks, really. There's not going to be any eating chili or any doing weird workouts or cold showers or anything like that. This week is going to be all about, like we said, the knowledge. This week is going to be all about picking apart the strategies in his books. And because I don't think Seth Godin does anything weird. Like, I don't think he does any weird morning routine. I think he really just has interesting books to share. I, we're going to mostly be taking him seriously this I think week. He's, I think he's just helpful Gary V. I think he's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when we do Gary V week, we're going to have fun with that because Gary V is getting a little shadier by the day. Dude, ever since, so I, th I think I put my finger on it too, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm multitasking right now. No, you're but, fine. Um, I think I put my finger on it. Gary V never rubbed me the wrong way because yes, he would soft sell, um, but it was always product based and it, the products were serving a very specific purpose. You like the taste of wine, buy this wine. You want to get to know my, like what I'm teaching a little bit better. You can buy these cheap books, but they don't lead to funnels or courses. You're buying a book, you're buying a wine, you're buying a specific product buying an and, item, the yeah. and the transaction ends there. Exactly. Now that is. he's getting into crypto, I really feel like it's, it's, he's trying to sell a promise. Right. And that's the, that's the difference. I liked him before because yeah, I never felt like he was trying to sell theories to me or trying to sell opportunities or concepts that he was trying to sell like something specific. And that like, if I watched his show for marketing advice and things like that, I could take something away from it and never feel like he was trying to make me buy his course or attend his paid webinar or anything like that. So I always, that's why I, I, I think I trusted him a little more, but I'm not sure how to feel now that he's doing all this crypto stuff. Well, we'll, we'll see. So the drop date is May 5th. And the fact that I know that tells me that something's going to, that obviously he's going to be selling something on May 5th. Um, and we'll see what it is. If it's an, if it's an NFT, if he's dropping an NFT and it's anything, be if, if it's an investment opportunity, red flags galore. He's so we man. do, we should do, should we do Gary V week next week then? So that on May 5th, we can find out what he's doing and focus on that for that day. Absolutely. Okay, so guys, next week will be Gary V week. We'll uh, invite him on our podcast. He probably won't come because it won't be our hundredth episode, and because he doesn't know who we are. Yeah, I mean, God, I would love to have him on, and who knows? Maybe he won't be a scam. But I just, it's it's giving me. I'll, I'll I'll know once he drops what he's dropping. But right now, on that day, we can react to it kind of live. We can see what he's doing and uh, discuss it as it's happening. 
Yeah, if, like if you made an NFT and it's just a piece of art and it's a digital collector, um, and what people are buying is just that digital piece of art, and it's not like it's to appreciate in value, though that's stupid. Of course it's going to appreciate. Like you buy baseball cards because they appreciate in value. I don't know. But it, it's, giving me, it's giving me weird vibes. We'll see what it is when it hat drops. Yeah, and I think other than that, we can really delve into some some things about him and and that. And um, I really liked watching um, the podcast, uh, Coffeezilla's podcast, The Drip, where he interviewed Mike Winnett about his meeting with Gary Vee. I found that really interesting. So we can definitely talk about that as well. Because I think that when he met him, there was an element of like, you know, he was a cool guy, but also he was a little bit scammier than originally expected and things like that. So I think we can talk about that as well and just really delve into him as a person because he's someone that I've always had a love hate relationship with. There's things about him that I really like that I've really found helpful. And then there's things about him that I'm like, mm, I need to be a little skeptical of that. So he's someone that you want to, you want to really have your critical thinking hat on when you interact with him, but you don't want to just say he's all good or all bad. I think he's a more complex person than that. Yeah. He hasn't done anything where it's not like he's misleading investors like Grant Cardone or um, mm -hmm. giving people horrible uh, medical and therapy advice, like, like Tony Robbins. And he's not selling, um, he's not selling relationship get uh, getaways and then yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like he's, not, he's not as bad as them. He's just giving me some weird vibes lately. Yeah, we'll have to do so for my channel, guys. I was talking about this on Instagram. I'm going to start a series on my YouTube channel called Deep Daves. It is going to be deep dives on guys named Dave. Uh, they might not all be bad because I was thinking of some Daves that I like that I might cover too. But I'm going to do deep dives on guys named Dave. First two will be Dave Ramsey and Dave Hollis. So maybe we could live as them as well because I'm going to be doing research on them for my channel. Right now I'm reading Dave Hollis's book, which is really cringe. Like Dave's just cringe. Dave Ramsey, because I I don't think all, like he doesn't give he doesn't always give bad advice. I know he has some sketchy sides to him, but it's not like the advice he re regularly gives. Sure, is, is my plan awful isn't to criticize Dave Ramsey's financial advice because I'm not really I don't know that much about finance. I'm not a finance professional or anything, and I know a lot of people have told me that his finance advice has been really helpful to them. So that's I think totally he's a little fine. strict on debt. Like I, I think he sees debt as a pure evil. Um, and yeah. it's, it's not always a pure evil. You can you can use it to improve your life. Um, and elevate your, like if you haven't fully paid off a house, but there's an investment opportunity in another multi-unit home uh, that you can afford and you can refinance that first home. You don't have to completely pay off the debt on that first home to take advantage of that new opportunity, especially while interest rates are low. But he sees debt as like this ultimate evil. Right, right. So yes, but a lot of the things I'm going to be criticizing him about are more supporting MLM companies, religious discrimination against people at his work, um, treating women badly, all of that kind of stuff. So we're going to, we're going to talk about all of those things. Um, but yeah, we're going to start the deep Dave's sex, uh, segment of the channel. We're going deep into guys named Dave. Someone on Instagram had the funniest comment to me where they were like, oh, balls deep. <laughs> so I had the funniest comment where there, I was like, you know, episode one's going to be Dave Ramsey. Episode two will be Dave Hollis. I'm taking suggestions for other Daves to cover and someone was like I wanted to help you find other Daves so I googled famous Daves and it turns out famous Daves is a restaurant and I was like that's all well I, I was like I, as soon as you I saw that comment there. I'm like oh my god famous Daves like the rib place um yeah so I thought that was funny <laughs> 
Amanda says, I have a friend who followed Dave Ramsey to get out of debt and it worked, but she and her husband don't have kids and they both make pretty good money. So they were already in a privileged position. I've heard a little bit of that too, that his advice seems to only really work for people who have life circumstances that are advantageous already. That um, if you're a person who's like, well, I'm a single mom. I have five kids. I have a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt. Help me, Dave. That his advice is that at that point, he might not be able to, to help. So I don't know. Sharma says Dave Ramsey's like Beachbody. The, for Beachbody, the workouts are good, but the company is bad. Dave has good advice, but is a shitty person. Yeah, I would say that that is totally fair. And I think that that's what I'm going to kind of cover. That I'm not going to be shitting on his financial advice for the most part, because I, one, I'm not a finance expert. I don't even know that much about finance stuff. I mean, RK knows way more about finance than I do, but I don't, I'm just not like, I don't think I'm qualified to critique that or I wouldn't know enough to do it effectively. But I think that he has a lot of other things that are bad about him as a person that need to be talked about. And then Dave Hollis is just cringe. I'm reading his book and his whole book is like, as the kids say, I was shook. And I'm like, please don't, Dave. And in his book, he's like, he and Rachel just sound exhausting. Like their marriage sounded exhausting. Their life sounds exhausting. He's, he sounds like an exhausting person. He has a section where he's like, back in the day, I used to think therapy was stupid. Therapy was just for crazy people and women. And I'm like, what Dave? And he's like, obviously I don't think that anymore because I'm not a douche anymore. And I'm like, you just going to drop that in there. So I, uh oh um i'm reading uh get out of your own way which is really a very very basic book title that i think there's already three other books with that title he should have called it bro wash your balls like i don't know why he missed that opportunity to call it bro wash your balls ribby are you gonna do a book read for 12 rules for life yes i need to okay so jordan peterson fans really really hate me and i'm going to um I'm, I'm that's obviously that's not going to deter me. I'm going to do more videos on him, but I, I need to, I feel like I want to, what I really pride myself on with my channel is having content that reaches people from a variety of perspectives and worldviews. And I don't want to make a review. That's like, this review is targeted only at people who already hate Jordan Peterson. Right. Because I put up the video where I analyzed his debate with Kathy Newman, and I honestly thought that I was really, really fair to him. But his fans didn't think so. And I don't know. It, you some were more of the, than fair than him. You I went thought harder so on too. Kathy Newman. I went way harder on her. But a lot of his fans, this video almost now has a greater dislike, greater dislikes than likes. It's, it's close. It's like it's approaching at this point. Um, and I had to stop reading the comments after a while because there's just the people who are finding it at this point are people who are fans of his, who are searching for, for videos about him and any criticism of him makes them just go off on me. And so I'm like, if I ever, if I keep reading this, I want to respond and then I'll take an hour out of my day to give a big thoughtful response. And I'm just going to waste time on that. So I've realized that if I make more videos about Jordan Peterson, I guess I didn't realize how devoted his fan base is that like, I've never seen a fan base this devoted that like they cannot like if you criticize that person, they will get mad. So I uh, try, try, try music reactions. 
So they love him the same way people love celebrities. Sorry. Yes. No. um, But no, you're totally right. So, but uh, but a lot of them did actually, there were some of his fans and I've talked about this, which is interesting, which is that most of his male fans were just personally attacking me. Whereas his female fans brought up interesting points where they were like, well, I liked him for these reasons. And this point right here, I think you could elaborate more on, like they actually gave me some, some interesting things to ponder. Whereas a lot of his male fans were like, yeah, but you look like a ugly feminist, so why would I even listen to you? Uh, it was really just like that. So it was it was interesting. But my my thought is that I think what I need to do is if I'm going next time I make a video about Jordan Peterson, I need to have like a million sources prepared to put up on the screen because I, I will admit that in that video, I probably made the same mistake that I was accusing Jordan Peterson of in the video, which was not delving enough into why I felt certain ways about things. And now I feel a little hypocritical because in the video, I really, I really criticized him. You know, you say that you think women are more agreeable. Why do you think that happens? Now delve deeper. Why? And if you're not going to do that, then you're wrong and that kind of thing. But then when I brought up other points, I necessarily, I would say that I found Jordan Peterson to be sexist, but I didn't really delve into why. And a lot of people who were his fans were like, well, why didn't you explain why? Why didn't you provide a source and things like that? And I realized that I probably should have, honestly. I didn't, I thought I had made that video that would appeal to everybody because I was not very hard on him and was harder on Kathy Newman. However, I now realize that like he has fans who have, who are really, really devoted to him. And if I don't explain every single thing and provide sources for it, they are going to question it. And that's, completely fair for them to do. So I think that I probably next time I make a Jordan Peterson video, I really need to have a lot of things ready, not just because like, I know it could be like, oh, fuck those people. But no one of my channel, I really do want to appeal to people from every perspective. Not that they all have to like it, but I want them to be willing to hear it out. So I want to I want to frame it that way. I was gonna say, I think the problem with your video was you you didn't make it a purple cow. I didn't make it a purple cow. That's true. I made it. It was a very average video where I just did a reaction and discussion. Yeah. And then to answer Rivi writer's uh, question, we are reading uh, for Seth Godin. We both read purple cow, which we talked a little bit about today. Um, And then we're reading the practice and this is marketing. What Amanda's saying is, yeah, I was, the video was getting too long. I had over two hours of raw footage for that video that I had to really cut down. And I think that that was partially a mistake too. I think Rivi, was it Rivi? Who's, yeah, Rivi said I could do, was it you who said I could do, oh oh, yeah, 12 part series on one on each rule. I think that might be better because then I can spend more time going into it and providing sources and talking about why I agree and disagree. And I might have to reread parts of it because it was long and boring and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's definitely part of it too. And while I think Amanda makes a good point that like there's a lot of personal attacks and there's no winning, I don't, I mean, sometimes that's true. And I know that I sometimes get caught in the trap of um, continuing to engage with bad faith arguments for way too long without realizing it. But at the same time, I've gotten so many comments from people who talk to me who are like, hey, so I was uh, I'm um, a super conservative, you know, religious woman in her 60s. And I thought that all modern feminism was terrible. But honestly, from watching your videos and hearing how you appeal to multiple sides of the issue and listening to you break things down, I think that I think that there is value in what you're saying. And so to get comments like that, where I'm realizing because a lot of people are like, just don't appeal to people who think this way or something like that. But the fact is they exist. 
And if they exist, you want to still be able to reach them because otherwise you're creating echo chambers, which leads to cults. So that's one thing that matters to me. Jordan Peterson's fan base is strong and it really does exist. And they're downvote bombing my video, which is fine. They have the right to do that. But I want to try to appeal to them a little more. So I'm going to take some time, read through the comments and try to figure out, at first it was kind of ruining my faith in humanity because I was like, oh, I thought people really did have the ability to look at other perspectives more. But you know, that's okay. I'm the YouTube creator. I'm the one who should be taking on the burden of breaking that down. So I'm gonna do that. That's my goal. Um, yeah, the constructive open-minded folks are absolutely, oh yeah, Cher. Oh wait, I didn't reach out to her yet. Karen, Karen Stockton, Stockton, I don't know how to pronounce that, but you mentioned her, I looked her up. And I, I haven't reached out to her yet, but I would be interested. There's a, a, there's a woman named Karen who is, she's like an anti-feminist, but she's also very interesting from what I've heard. Um, and I honestly, I, here's the thing. I think that feminism is so diverse at this point that like a lot of people who are like anti-feminists, unless their point is something like something stupid, like women and men should do these separate things in society, like the government should mandate people be forced into roles or so, unless they're making a really stupid argument like that. Generally, I can get on board and agree with it. Um, oh, Stratton, Karen Stratton. Oh, well, okay. Uh, that's okay is a great thing to think. I was starting to lose my faith in humanity about the existence of certain, certain things, so this is timely. <laughs> Thank you, I'm glad, I'm glad. Yeah, let me look up Karen Stratton. Now that I know how to pronounce her name, Karen Stratton. Um, I mean, she she and I have a similar haircut. I think uh, based on that alone, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch some of these videos. Oh, she's got a lot of views. She's got like millions of views on some of her videos. But they're oh, her videos with millions of views are from like a decade ago. Does she still create new things? Not super frequently. She doesn't create new things super frequently. Um, but I'm interested. I would definitely. Oh, she's going to insult ContraPoints. That's going to make me sad. I love ContraPoints. However, guys, unlike Jordan Peterson stands, if I watch someone give constructive criticism or genuine critiques of a person I like, I'm not just going to go insult them because it's important to take in multiple sides of something. So I'm going to I'm going to definitely watch some of her stuff and see what she has to say. Um Her videos are all pretty old. Like, I don't know if she's that active anymore. But maybe, oh, she's probably not, is she not primarily a YouTuber? I don't know what she does. I'll have to, I'm going to have to look into her a little more. Um, Google her, Karen Stratton. Okay, I'm gonna do some research on her. Maybe I'll make a video on her or I'll reach out and see if she wants to have a debate because I do appreciate people who are willing to have these types of debates. I feel like debating the concept of feminism as a whole is almost impossible because it's just such a wide variety of things. Like, it's just like you, it's almost like you'd have to debate each issue one-on-one -on -one because to say like to have the debate be, is feminism necessary or something is 
like that depends how you define feminism. It depends how you define necessary. It de like there's so many factors involved in that. Someone on my Jordan Peterson video just the other day asked, "Do you think men and women will ever truly or can ever truly be equal?" And I was like, "That depends what you mean by men and women. That depends what you mean by equal." Like, do will do you like? I don't understand. Like, do I ever think all humans are going to be the same? No. But that's also like, you can even find two men, one man might be taller or stronger than the other man, they're not equal in terms of size and strength, but one of them might be smarter than the other. Like, there's so many factors involved here. So to say, can all like truly be equal? And then what do you mean by equal? Like, what do you mean by men and women? Like, there's so many, too many, the problem is too many concepts are abstract, and it's hard to define it. Oh, she's on Reddit? Okay, I'll check her out on Reddit, too. Um, let me see. It's not, sure, I don't know if that's a different... She that that user isn't showing up on Reddit, so maybe she uses a different name now. I don't know. Um, let's see. One second. Okay. Um, Kimberly says, I literally never get debated online when people disagree. It's just always got some guy calling me something awful. Yeah, there's some comments where people just want to, I think that personal attacks, you almost can't engage with those because it's like, and someone's like, you're dumb or something. I mean, that's the problem though. It's like, I can't resist from engaging sometimes. So I'll be like, why? Or I'll be like, what makes you think that? Or someone's like, you, you, you did a bad job on this video. Okay. I'll be like, what makes you think that? Or if someone's like, you look stupid. I'll be like, what about me? Can you point to a specific thing? I'll work on it <laughs> or something like that. But sometimes I just get comments that are just rude. And like those you, I've been actually pretty angry about this one comment I got. And this is not, it's not even that, like people have called me all kinds of mean things. But this one isn't even, but it's more that someone insulted my integrity. So I, I talked about this a little bit ago, but the person commented again. So I was like, ugh. Um, I, I, I did a review of a book that I liked. I really liked this book because there were a lot of things in it that made me feel represented just in terms of how I see the world and how I live my life and like things that I feel people would have stigmatized in other books but were shown positively here. Just basically, I thought that this book was really good and I really liked it. And turns out a lot of people didn't like it. It wasn't a very popular book. That's fine book review YouTube, like there's going to be some, like, I feel like, why do you even need to give the disclaimer? Some people are going to like some books. And I think I thought that was common knowledge. So anyway, I gave a positive review to this book and someone comments on it. Oh, are you, wait, what's up? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So RK had to take a call. So I'm going to wrap up the stream in a second, but someone commented on the video being like, did the author pay you for this review with money or sex? And I was like, um, neither. My reviews cannot be bought in any way, actually, because I'm a reviewer with, like, I just felt like my integrity was being insulted. So I was like, why is it so shocking to you that some people might like a book you didn't like? And then this person replied with like, oh, so she didn't pay you after sex then. And I was like, I didn't fuck the author, dude. 
Like, could you imagine if I like went on to reviews of people like who liked books that I hated and like if I went on to like someone who reviewed the 10x rule and was like, so did Grant Cardone fuck you for this review? Like, I wouldn't say that. That's so rude. That's so rude. Oh, okay. Sorry. Let me, it's called Girl Writes What on Reddit. Okay. I'm going to check her out, guys. I'm going to do some research into this. I'm going to listen to more of Seth Godin's um, book, This Is Marketing. RK is going to be on a call for a little bit. We are going to continue with Seth Godin week tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about the purple cows and how things like on Nickelodeon and certain properties that we like from our childhoods manage to stay memorable and stand out and also talk about some marketing techniques. So I'll see you guys all tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget to support small businesses. Have a fantastic start to your week. Bye, everybody.